This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The coronavirus pandemic has had a lot of far-reaching consequences, and we'll be talking today about how it has helped one of the region's biggest crooks. It's This Week in the CLE, the news podcast from Cleveland.com. I'm Cleveland.com editor Chris Quinn with colleagues Laura Johnston and Chris Warnowski. Chris, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back. Laura, good weekend. Yep, I had my Mother's Day, so like, you know, coronavirus couldn't take that away. It was lovely. And we and we had snow, so you can go skiing. <laughs> right. Okay, let's begin. How bad is Ohio's unemployment system? Chris Warnowski, before you went off on furlough, you regaled us with some of the difficulties you had in trying to get registered for unemployment at the time we last talked. You had not been able to do it. You've had a week now to uh, spend some time trying. Were you successful and how difficult was it? Yeah, I've actually finished up the whole process this morning with my filing my first claim. And for people who didn't listen to this the first time, and just to get you up to speed a little bit, when I initially went to set up my account with the unemployment website for Ohio, it crashed after the first screen. And then I was basically locked out of it, which forced me through, I went through all of the sort of online customer service channels and they said, well, you have to call the hotline, which if you've been paying attention to the news or if you're one of the unlucky people who have to sign up for unemployment during all of this pandemic, uh, you're probably aware that the telephone system is overburdened. And uh, last week while I was off, uh, you know, bike riding and reading and, and <laughs> I, I eventually uh, managed to get through, but it took me I would say upwards of 30 to 40 tries to get through. Like you you basically cannot get through on the phone during the day. And I found a shortcut. If, if people really are trying hard to get through, if you dial in and you, if you press the star key, it skips you ahead and asks you what language you want. If you press one, uh, it'll get you English too for for Spanish, but then if you hit three, immediate star three immediately, it'll it'll take you to where you need to go. So it'll that helps you skip some of the sitting and waiting through the prompts. And so I figured, well, if I get up at seven o'clock in the morning on Friday, which I did, I, I just start calling immediately. I, I should get through, and I did. Uh, the problem was, is there was an issue with the phone connection, like the woman, like the the woman who was working for the unemployment, I couldn't hear her. And so we got about halfway through the process and I go, is there something wrong with your phone? I can't hear you. And she goes, oh, well, then you'll just have to call me back and hung up on me. Now, this is after, oh, man, oh, man. <laughs> this is after like, I'm, I'm dead serious. She just hung up and I was like, what? what? And so like, I kind of let out a, an expletive and. Uh, and I called back and it said that they were, uh, currently experiencing a high volume of callers and I had to try back at every time. And so I just kept, I like, I, you know, I figured, well, it's early, so maybe I could still get through. And I tried like three more times and I finally got somebody who was nice and didn't hang up on me. And we managed to get my pen reset. John Houston is stood before the camera and briefing after briefing, asking people to be patient and saying that it's working. 
It's not. That's not okay. It shouldn't take 30 to 40 times to get through. And then when you finally do get hung up on, uh, this thing still needs work. I, I know that the volume is going down, but but you know, I think the numbers are probably artificially depressed because you won't show up on the unemployment claims now until the latest numbers, and you've been trying for a couple of weeks. Right, okay. and I look, I'm back to work, so you know, it's like there are people who are. I, I just want to try to say, like, I I realize that I'm in a, a distinctly privileged position to go back to work, but it's still like for the hundreds and thousands of people who are dealing with this as a lifeline, like right. it's unacceptable. And, right. I, and, and I think the state really bears a lot of, of, of responsibility. And I hope this, I, you know, I hope there's an inquiry into this at some point where we look at what failed and hopefully we, how we can a, avoid this again in the future, because it needs to be rebuilt. Yeah, build a system that actually serves the people. Okay. It's this week in the CLE. Why was corrupt former Cuyahoga County Auditor Frank Russo released from prison just shy of five years early? Russo is one of the biggest scoundrels in the history of the county. He took a million bucks. He ran a payoff machine for years. He was supposed to be in prison till at least 2024, but now he's home. What gives, Chris? Chris Wazowski? Well, like the, it's the answer to everything. It's the, the coronavirus. Frank was in a, a prison down in Buntner, North Carolina, and he was released Thursday and is back in Cleveland, uh, resting comfortably, apparently. You know, it's, uh, th- this story popped late Friday. He was out Thursday and it was, a, I think the same day that Cleveland settled with three guys for $18 million who the Cleveland police framed for a murder back in 1975. And they basically lost their entire adulthood. They've been in prison since they were in their twenties. And, and you think about that, you know, they're completely innocent. The police framed them. They coerced a 12 year old kid to be a witness against them by threatening the kid. These guys spent 39, 30 plus years in prison. Frank Russo gets out early and he is a scumbag. He's a seriously bad guy. He destroyed the public trust. And and there's a lot of debate and argument that one of the reasons the economy of this region was more abundant for all that time is because it was pay to play. And he gets to come home. I just I don't get it. It's like the you really the Bureau of Prisons cannot keep a really bad guy safe from the coronavirus behind bars. They get, they let him get out early. How many people are not getting out early? What did the guys who died at Elkton do? What were their crimes? They're dead, but this guy's home. Well, one of the things that, that sort of played in his favor in in getting release is his advanced age and his health. You know, I think, you know, a lot of at-risk people are, are being released because of this. And and I believe he was at where he was at because of his health. This was a medical prison that he was at. So I guess the question that we might need to continue to answer is, you know, if he's in a medical prison, what are they doing at the medical prison to keep people safe? You know, it, it, a medical prison sounds like the place you want to be when this is happening. But for some reason, he still managed to to secure release. Yeah, and he wasn't close. I mean, he, you know, when Mike DeWine was releasing people, it was like people within six months of being freed. He had a long time to go. You know, the next question, of course, is, is Jimmy DeMora going to get out? I mean, he's serving a 28-year sentence, which some people have argued is a little bit more than he should have gotten. 
But does he get out now? Because he clearly has some serious health issues, too. He's of the age. And if I'm not mistaken, he's at Elkton, right? Where, yeah, where nine people, people are died there. Yeah, as of Friday, there are nine yeah, there was, people have died there. And oh, go ahead, Laura. I was just going to say there. Yeah, this is Laura Johnston. There was a, another death at Elkton on Friday. So, um, and the thing is, Russo has been arguing for years to get his sentence reduced because he helped build the case against you know dozens of of county employees and contractors. Um, but you're right, Chris, when you think of bad guys, I was having this conversation with my husband last night and he's just still angry at what he put this, this region through. And I bet a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. He's a true villain. And it, it, I just, when this popped, it just, you shake your head because the investment that the federal government made in correcting this corrupt machine, which took 60 people down, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it really was one of the most overwhelming bad stories in the history of this region. And this guy was one of the chief architects. And unlike Jimmy Nomura, he was cashing out big yeah, time. more than a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. And, he's, and he's free. I mean, well, he's not free, right? He's confined to his home. He's got to wear a right. there's, there's some limits. But he's still sitting at home. I, I anyway, I this one boggles the mind that he's out, uh, given what he did to this county. There are a lot of people that argue he was the much bigger villain than Jimmy Demora. Jimmy Demora was the cartoonish character, the Las Vegas guy, but Russo got rich. Okay, this week in the CLE, why is Delta Airlines pulling out of Akron Canton Airport? I guess we saw this one coming, right, Laura Johnston? Yeah, it's been happening. Akron Canton's actually been on a slide for a half a decade now, at least. But Akron Canton Airport's one of 10 airports where Delta is suspending service because of the drop in demand due to the coronavirus. And that's going to last until at least September. Delta did take a chunk of this $50 billion from the Federal CARES Act. But and as a condition of the receiving the bailout money, airlines had to agree to maintain service to all markets. But the U.S. Department of Transportation considers CAK part of the same regional market as Cleveland Hopkins. So that's the argument that they're not cutting service to the region. Yeah, Delta pulled out of 10 airports in a similar situation because, you know, the demand for flying has has plummeted. And you're right. Ever since United closed its hub in Cleveland, a lot more flights are going out of Cleveland Hopkins that used to go out of Akron Canton. Right. You, you do have to wonder. I mean, after 9-11, a lot of people said, I'm never going to fly again. And it took a little while. But, you know, the flights have been full and the airlines have been pulling people in. You just wonder, will it take long enough this time for it to come back where it really puts Akron Canton into a difficult spot where they just don't have enough flights going through to justify their existence? Right. And for a while, they were expanding like crazy. They were the biggest growing airport in the country uh, back in the AirTran days. And then, you know, Southwest and the AirTran merger made a huge difference there, too. So I haven't flown out of there in years. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the whole market and how many people are like, I'm just not going to fly for the foreseeable future. I know that some people are, but, you know, with vacations way down, too, it's no one knows. Yeah, it'll, it, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting, too, to see if any other airlines uh, pull back there following Delta's lead. Delta was kind of the first to consolidate. So it'll, we'll have to watch that over the next uh, coming months. Although maybe travel will pick up again as people start to go back on vacation. It's this week in the CLE. 
How much is Cleveland paying to three guys who spent most of their lives in prison because Cleveland police framed them for a 1975 murder? Chris Ranowski, this was a, a kind of a gut-wrenching one as you you read about what these guys went through, all because Cleveland police were more interested in the 70s in clearing a case regardless of whether justice is served. In this case, they coerced a 12-year-old kid to be a witness against them, and there was no evidence that they did it. Right. And now the city is about to spend $18 million to settle this because these three guys, they they were sort of the victims of probably one of the the gravest injustices I've seen in my time of doing this. And, 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 you know, thankfully, you know, their attorneys have been able to sort of secure them, you know, something that will hopefully help them start to mend the tremendous sort of trauma that the city and, and the police department and decades of injustice have, have wrought on their lives. I mean, there, there've been books written about this there, you know, this is a, a long, sad story about three people who just, you know, became the target of one of the most crooked. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the most crooked police stories I think I've ever read in my life. And, but, but, you know, it does raise, but it raises questions. If they were so, if so deliberate and locking up three guys who didn't do it, how many other cases might there be that are like this? I mean, if this is the way the homicide department worked in the seventies, where all they cared about was was clearing the case and, and they didn't care if they locked up the innocent. You, you just have to wonder how many people who went to prison in that era are are not guilty. Everybody who goes to prison says they're innocent. But it sounds like there might be a whole bunch of people that went back then that were. Well, but I mean, we still we still deal with this in a lot of ways in, in the way that cops and prosecutors sort of lean on people to confess to things and you know, I mean, just the, the way the whole process is sort of designed to we're granted speedy justice through, you know, the Constitution and everything. But, you know, we have a we have a system where, you know, we have hundreds, if not thousands of cases that go through the courts every year. And, you know, I, I, I you, you wonder how much attention to detail goes missing when, you know, prosecutors are trying to get cases off the books, when, you know, when cops are trying to sort of put a period on an investigation. I mean, it happens and you see it every day across the country, you know, and you see it. It's, it's even difficult to say, you know, it's it's not as big of a problem as it was in the 60s or 70s because it still happens. And well. And, 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 you know, it's, there's more visibility to it. And I think people have an easier time telling their stories, but, you know, I mean, you have attorneys who have to work on these cases for 10, 10 years. And, and, and it's, and well, think and, of the know, rage you'd feel if you were locked up for pretty much your entire life. The sad thing is one of these guys, after he was freed, has now been charged with vehicular manslaughter because he was driving recklessly and, and then I think it was Beechwood, not long after he got out, he crashed into somebody and killed them. And you just have to wonder, you know, is that the result of 30 years of, of in, being in prison for a crime you didn't commit? What it does to your to your brain and your outlook. So you get out and you do a reckless act. You know, is it his fault? It's, Look, a, I, it's difficult to underscore the the trauma that these guys have gone through. And, and to, to be able to sort of, to, to step back and, and, you know, and people go, Oh, $18 million that that'll, that'll fix it. And it's like, no, 
that won't fix it. You know, these are these are three people who, you know, from the outset, you know, who, who you know, to say to, to have the government sort of abandon you in this way is is hard. And, and it speaks so much about how the criminal justice system not only treats people, but how it treats people of color, how it was, you know, relatively simple to to pin a murder on three people. And just how quick the public is to believe people when they say these are the guys. And well, so, and you wait, know, and you say, does the 18 million make it right? Ask yourself this. When you were 25, if somebody said, hey, I'll give you $18 million or $6 million uh, if you go to prison for the next 35 years, is that a deal anybody would make? No, Lord knows what they've experienced in prison, what their lives were that, like then. You know, I, I think there's a lot of them that that won't be healed by anything. No. And, and, and there's not there's not a way to make people whole after this regard. You know, I, you know, there's a very transactional nature of how we think about money and how money fixes things in this country. This money doesn't fix this, you know, well, and it's not and, just and, and the police. No, the prosecutor's office is equally complicit. They knew they had no case. And yet they, they, well, and wasn't, wasn't one of these guys originally sentenced to death. And then it was commuted because of a, a, a brief, uh, change in the way death penalty was done in this. I believe so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're right. It, it's, it's the whole you know, system, and, and, and the judges, we, the prosecutors, the police detectives, they all conspired to take these guys' lives away. It's it's really one of the more chilling stories of the past couple of years, what happened to those guys. And you mentioned the book, Kyle Swenson, the first the the former uh, scene reporter now at the Washington Post, uh, wrote the book you were talking about. It's right. this week in the CLE. Is the coronavirus subtly spreading in Cleveland neighborhoods? The uh, Cuyahoga Board of Health has been doing a better and better job of putting out information uh, starting from zero, where we were complaining quite a bit that we couldn't get data, to now really hitting us with lots of information that so we can understand how this thing is spreading and who was vulnerable to it. Laura Johnston, what uh, what's happening in the Cleveland neighborhoods? Well, for the first time on Friday, the data showed that the neighborhoods of Fairfax, Huff, Slavic Village, St. Clair Superior, and Union Miles rank among the top zip codes uh, in the county with the highest number of cases. Already, portions of downtown Ohio City, Tremont, Buckeye Shaker, and West Park uh, already were in those highest zip codes. And those are the zip codes with 87 to 143 cases. And that ranks right up there with Parma and then some of the east side suburbs. Well, you know, we've been wondering because Cleveland with its high poverty rate and poverty also goes along with a lot of bad uh, health conditions, wondering if this would start to spread in Cleveland population because it's got a higher percentage of people who are vulnerable to it. Mm-hmm. it. It took a while, but it seems like we're seeing that, yes, it is starting to hit those populations, which presents a special challenge because the deeper it gets into those neighborhoods, the more easily it can it can spread quickly. Right, exactly. You have large families living in a small space that's going to spread a lot faster. I've seen it uh, written about that if if somebody does get it or is exposed and they're supposed to self-quarantine, the advice is that it should use their own bathroom. Well, not everybody has multiple bathrooms in their house. Um, Also, some of these people do have the comorbidities where they have diabetes or hypertension, which makes you a lot more susceptible to it. So the, the Board of Health has been giving us a lot more information on, as of Friday, there are 105 suburban 
county residents and 39 Clevelanders who have died from COVID-19. That brings the countywide total to 144, because remember, Cleveland has a separate health board. Of the county um, deaths, I believe that 53% are female, 47% are male. There's no ethnicity data for about a fifth of the deaths, but for the cases, it does know 69% are white, 26% are black, which is disproportionately high, 1% are Asian, and none that they know are Hispanic. One of the more worrisome statistics they provide is what percent of the ICU beds are in use. Remember, mm-hmm. flattening the curve was all about making sure that hospitals weren't overrun. And indeed, in Ohio, hospitals have not been overrun. But there's not a whole lot of extra capacity. If we started to see a spike because of the reopening of Ohio or because people are fed up with being inside and they started to get together, there's not a whole lot of room, right? No, not a ton. Right now, the use of non-intensive care hospital beds ticked up about three percentage points over the last week to 73% of beds in use. Beds in the ICU units are 69% occupied. That's an increase of one percentage point. And remember, just a week ago Friday, they started letting non-essential surgeries happen again. So you would think that some of those beds are going to be taken up by people who, who need extra help after surgery. Yeah, it's it's a scary it's a scary thing, and the meme is out there. You know, the one that says, "You know, right. we're reopening the state doesn't mean that it's safe for you to go out. It means that we have an ICU bed for you, at least as of now." It's this week in the CLE. What are contact tracers, and how many is Ohio trying to hire? We keep hearing about contact tracers. We keep seeing anecdotal evidence of how useful they can be to deal with outbreaks of the coronavirus. So what's going on with Ohio and contact tracers, Laura Johnson? Well, this came out, uh, I think, on Friday. Governor Mike DeWine has announced plans to hire 1,800 contact tracers. These are part-time jobs. They pay about $18 to $22 an hour, depending if you are the regular worker or the supervisor. And the idea is that paired up with ramped up testing, tracing is going to help manage that disease so that while researchers develop more effective treatments and preventative measures, they can really narrow down on the cases that do exist and find everybody who's been in contact with someone who has the disease to get them isolated so that they don't spread it anymore. Now, I imagine the pool of candidates for this is somewhat limited because these are people who go and talk to people who have COVID-19. So the elderly, people with diabetes and heart conditions, probably not the best candidates for this. Probably not. No, they're looking for people with uh, public health experience too, people with good interviewing skills who can talk to people well. So that is going to be a special kind of of job. So, so the way this works is, I get COVID nineteen. They come talk to me to find out where I've been over the previous days, who I might have been with, and then they go to those people and talk to them to find out where they've been and take it to a certain level where they kind of map out the outbreak? That's the whole purpose of this? That's the idea, so that they can tamp down on hotspots before they become massive outbreaks. And so remember, you can spread this, I know you know this, but you can spread this asymptomatically. That seems to be the most contagious part of it for five days. So you're going to think about if you're not one of those people that's staying home all week. I mean, for me, it'd be pretty easy. But if you're going out, then you're going to have to be like, I was at this restaurant. I had, you know, that person's going to have to go to the restaurant. They're going to find out who is serving that table on that night. So this is going to be some really detail oriented work. It's astounding to me how many people I see not wearing masks, 
given all that we've learned about how easily this can spread. There was a contact tracing story. I forget. It might've been on the Washington post over the weekend where one sick person went to a party. I think there were 150 people there and, and infected a whole bunch of people, one person just by coughing. And of course people weren't wearing masks. So I was at Giant Eagle on Saturday and everybody was getting their flowers for Mother's Day. But I mean, people were lined up in the aisles to check out and there were people not wearing masks. And if imagine if I had the coronavirus, which as far as I know, I do not. And I was wearing my mask. But imagine if I was like, yeah, I was at Giant Eagle and there were a lot of people there. Like there's no way to track down everybody who has a Giant Eagle at 3 p.m. on Saturday. No, I was at a Home Depot Friday. I took the day off and uh, there was a line to get in outside which was fairly close and half the people in it were not wearing masks and just, it strikes me because it's, you're going to get sick. It's, you know, it's, this spreads pretty easily. It's this week in the CLE. Should I take aspirin to thin my blood in case I get the coronavirus? We asked this question after blood thinners were used with some success, it appears, to treat people with the coronavirus in a, in a small scale study that needs a lot more research. And we got an emphatic answer, Chris Warnowski. Uh, the answer is no, no, and uh, <laughs> hell no. Don't do this. Like, don't do it. Corey Schaefer did a great job on this, and he talked to uh, Dr. Nissen, a uh, longtime Northeast Ohio heart specialist. And it, and it was kind of heartening to see somebody who was not mealy-mouthed about this. You know, we ask a lot of people questions about, hey, what about this? You know, we have a school opening story where we ask a bunch of people, hey, is it too soon to open the schools in August? And they're all, well, I'm not going to say it's, you know, mealy mouth kind of things and speculation. There was nothing mealy mouth about this. I mean, Neeson could not have been more clear, but he said it's actually really dangerous if you do. Right. He said, don't do it. So I think he, I am just sort of reiterating what he said, but he said it was absolutely not, would not be a good idea for people to start taking aspirin based on the research that exists. Uh, you know, I, it, it, I, this, this, this whole searching for the miracle cure thing has, you know, sort of aggressively taken over corners of the internet and, you know, we saw it with the malaria drug and, you know, everybody's sort of looking for the miracle cure. And, and, you know, the sad truth is, is I don't think we're going to, I don't think there's going to be a miracle here. It's going to actually take some science and some thought and some reason for us to get there. You know, but, but, but that's why we do that story. I mean, because you could see people seeing the blood thinner story, the, the, what the research was thinking, Oh, blood thinners, you know, maybe I should take aspirin. And so we do that story as a public service. And man, I think it's a serious public service. And the other thing Neeson said is you should never launch on any kind of medical treatment without talking to your doctor. Seems like common sense. It's this week in the CLE. What's the latest on Northeast Ohio event cancellations because of COVID-19? Man, it's just been one event after another that's been canceled one piece of summer after another that has died laura johnston i know that it's just melting your soul (laughs) to see these things going away what's the what's the latest to go down oh the latest is blossom sorry guys uh cleveland orchestra canceled all concerts this summer that includes the summer at severance and the festival season at blossom music center in Cuyahoga falls you know, if you could have concerts anywhere this summer, you think they'd be at Blossom where you could spread out all over the grass. I mean, I was thinking about this. I was like, couldn't they just close the bandstand and limit the number of people 
and police the grounds and just keep on your own blanket, people. Like it's outdoors. If there's anywhere you can have a concert, this is the perfect place to have it. But, but the problem is, is that for a lot of people, they have to take a tram to get from the mm-hmm. distant parking lots. The trams yeah. aren't safe. And the same entrance issues right. that they have anywhere. They're like yeah, cattle shoots. They're not that wide. So, you know, getting in and getting out, you'll have people getting squished up against each other. I get why they had to stop it. but And you think that this is, uh, we're talking about elderly people being more vulnerable. This is not that you can't bring your family. It's a great place to bring your family, but the orchestra's patrons tend to veer older. It's just, it's another strike for the 4th of July. They do this great, fun, star-spangled spectacular with fireworks and cannons for the 1812 overture. So uh, not having in the summer. Okay, well, that's it. We're out of time. It's uh, it's good to have you back, Chris Wernowski, and uh, look forward to the stories that will be coming through your hands this week. Laura Johnston, as always, a pleasure. Thank you for listening to This Week in the CLE. We'll be back with another episode on Tuesday. Mm-hmm.